Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. I'm looking at a new children's book, part of a series. It's titled Boomer the Wonder Dog, Alpha Dog and Freedom. This is a book written by Charles T. Hall, and I'm going to find out more about this. Charles is joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Charles, welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. I'm curious to find out about Boomer the Wonder Dog, Alpha Dog and Freedom. Can you tell me about it? Well, it's a children's book series, so I've already produced book one, and I've got three in the tank ready to come out. Hmm. It's a book that is a narrative about a real dog and his real family. And the stories are actually actual circumstances that have been modified to fit the criteria. And the criteria is based on biblical principles and truths in the narrative. Boomer was a 110-pound black Labrador retriever that grew up in South Louisiana. He lived to be about 12 years old, and he was just the class clown. It was never a dull moment. <laughs> he was loved by certainly our family, but friends, too. Actually, we would have people that would call up and say, can we come see Boomer? Like, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't visit you. They'd visit Boomer. Yeah, yeah. Forget about that guy. Just come see the dog. <laughs> <laughs> what was your inspiration to write this series? I don't know exactly. I mean, it'd be easy to give you a really super cool sounding soundbite, but I don't know. I just had it in me for a long time. I guess it really comes back to, I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, and then I moved to Louisiana to play college football. And there was such a cultural shift from Denver, which at that time is much different than it is now. It's very quiet, very solitude people, hmm. kind of like the Midwest, like Nebraska, Kansas. And then to come to Louisiana, and especially South Louisiana, where the Cajun and Creole cultures exist, and Creole is basically New Orleans, Cajun is Lafayette, and I live in Baton Rouge, which is a collision of the two cultures. So we kind of get the best of both worlds. But in both cultures, they were amazing storytellers. And I was always just enthralled with hearing the stories of, you know, all the way from Boudreaux Thibodeau jokes to just stories about, you know, deer hunting or fishing or whatever the case was. And then not by design, but by default, I was originally a petroleum geologist that ended up in sales. One of the things I did is I started learning how to tell stories in the sales presentation. And not the 101, here's the product, here's the features, buy this. But it was actually, you know, painting a picture in people's minds. So what I saw with a Boomer book, Boomer was such an incredible personality. I could take, you know, the stories that he had and apply them to certain truths or biblical principles. And that way, hopefully my grandchildren could enjoy them or better yet, the general public could enjoy them. Well, Charles, when it comes to writing and publishing, had you done it before this series or was this a new thing for you? No, <laughs> this is the first venture. Wow. I did a lot of writing, you know, just being in my corporate life. So I did a lot of technical writing. I did a lot of memos and stuff, you know, that corporate writing involves. And that's probably where I got my practice of actual writing. But then taking that writing skill and applying it to storytelling, that's what I found to be the real challenge. Because, you know, we, we talk one way, but yet we write another way. Mm -hmm. So I had to converge the two into one. 
How long did it take you then, for example, to write Alpha Dog and Freedom? First draft was four hours. Oh, wow. I mean, I just dove right into it. And, you know, fortunately, I married way above my head. And my wife has a double degree in speech and communications with a concentration in rhetoric. So she ran it out of ink in a red pen. But <laughs> the story was there and she corrected all the grammar. When that day came and you got your first copy in the mail and you got to hold this for the first time, what's that like? You know, I'd like to say there was a warm and fuzzy feeling. I guess I was looking towards the goal line. As far as I was concerned, you know, the, the Boomer book, book one was a first down, and I still have about 90 yards to go. So I, I just saw that it, it was just one step in the right direction. Do you have any words of advice now, Charles, that you could throw out there for the aspiring authors? Yeah. If you're doing it just so you can check a box or puff out your chest to your friends, don't do it. But if it's a passion that you have and it's a vision that you have to do it and you really want to deliver value to somebody else, not yourself, but to somebody else, then that's your calling to do it. I know so many people will enjoy this book. I encourage my listeners to check it out. Again, the title is Boomer the Wonder Dog, Alpha Dog and Freedom. It's written by Charles T. Hall. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So you can find it everywhere. Go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to iTunes or traditional brick-and-mortar stores. You'll be able to pick this up. Charles, thanks again for talking with me all about your work. I had a nice time. Well, thank you very much, and I really appreciate the time you spent with me. This book we're talking about now at the Reader House Author Roundtable looks to have readers feel their best mentally, physically, and spiritually. It's called Bunzology Body. It's written by Sophia Perez-King, a.k.a. Sophia, and I get to talk all about this book. Sophia is here with me now. Sophia, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. It's an honor to have you here. You got a new book out, Bunsology Body. Can you tell me all about it? This process has been a lifelong process, I tell you. My family is huge. I have 20 aunts and uncles on my mother's side. And obesity is a huge, huge, huge issue in the family. So when I graduated high school, I used to compete in pageants. I graduated high school and I wanted to go to college. I said, gosh, what should I study? I really love music. I really love the arts. And I got a scholarship to AMDA, which is American Music and Dramatic Academy. And my grandfather says, you know what? You need to go to school and study something else because music is something that you're just born with. It's a gift that God has passed you down for just generations. So I decided to go to school and study kinesiology. My grandfather was about 500 pounds. So that actually forced me into the health and nutrition and fitness world. And ever since then, I just have a passion for serving, for helping moms get healthy, postpartum, prenatal things, and just deal with infertility. And it's just a blessing to be able to serve and give and see people live their best life. I love it. How long of an endeavor was this for you to write this and develop everything? You know what? This is a short read. This is like an airport read for like a travel day. This is my first book. It's really mostly a briefing of my story, who I am, how I got into food and nutrition and health and fitness. And it also gives you the inside scoop on what exactly to eat, what not to eat. And I break down every diet from keto down to, you know, high protein, intermediate fasting. So you kind of get a little bit of everything. It's a little bit broad, but it's just an introduction to Bunzology Body Program. Being your first book, uh, I'm sure there were some challenges along the way. What did you find the most challenging part, especially about that publishing process? 
oh, I have the best publisher in the world. My publisher is Christian Faith Publishing. They have been the biggest support system for me. If you're looking for an amazing team, because we all need a team to do something like this, you have to have people around you that push you into purpose. So just finding the right team, Christian Faith Publishing, by God's grace, was the perfect team for me, and I got it done. It took me about, I would say, maybe 16 months to get everything done, which is a long time. I started it during the pandemic. Everyone was like, oh, Netflix and chill. And I was like, you know what? I really need to finish my book. So I locked myself up in the room for hours at a time, and I just write. I could only imagine when you got that first copy in, you got to hold this thing and look at it for the first time with your name on the cover. What was that like? Oh, man. It was a long time coming. I just felt so much relief. And you know what's even crazier? I found out that I was pregnant with my second. And I've been trying for a long time, and I kind of gave up. And I said, God, if it's your will. And it happened, and I found out a week before the book was completed. And I was like, oh, no, I plan to do a book tour, and I have a six-pack, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And I said, you know what, God? I'm going to give it to you. Because this book talks about postnatal and prenatal, and it also gets you back in shape. Postpartum is such a real thing, and, and that's like my passion. So now, not only am I about 14 weeks pregnant with my second, I'm also able to help those moms and say, hey, look, you know, I had a six pack and now I'm out to here. I need to lose 60 pounds and, I, and you can do it. I can do it. We all can do it. So, you know, it's just a part of, you know, God's timing is always perfect. He doesn't work on our time. Sophia, looking down the road, do you see yourself writing and publishing more? Oh, absolutely. I'm already working on the one for pregnancy. So Bundology Body Pregnant is a huge, huge, huge deal. And I'm actually going through my second pregnancy now. So I've been jotting things down. I'm almost, almost on chapter six. I mean, I have so, it's just a continuance of that, but it's in more depth and more detail of how to nourish your body, your brain, your, your mind, body, your soul is all connected. And so this one is going to be just a longer read, I think, in more depth. Do you have any advice now you could throw out there for the aspiring authors who are listening? Never quit. Never stop creative writing. Never stop your process. Everyone's process is different, I've learned. And I've learned that sometimes because we are creatives and we're entrepreneurs and we're different. I feel like we get discouraged. Do not get discouraged. Keep your faith and never give up. Oh, I know so many people are going to benefit from this book. I encourage my listeners to seek it out for sure. Again, it's titled Bunzology Body. It's written by Sophia Perez-King, a.k.a. Sophia. And it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So, of course, you can find it anywhere. Head on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes. Also, traditional brick-and-mortar stores. You'll be able to pick this up. Sophia, it's been wonderful talking with you here tonight. Thank you again for joining me here at the show. Thank you so much. Sitting down with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm really excited to be talking with author Brent Fouch. Brent, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You have a new book out, and I wanted to say congratulations. It's called Conscious Exploration for the Advanced Soul. Brent, can you tell me all about this? Sure. Uh, Conscious Exploration for the Advanced Soul is written to show us that we're multidimensional beings. We are more than our physical bodies. And using organic doorways such as ayahuasca or conscious out-of-body experiences or OBEs, we're able to access these alternative realms. And my book kind of describes several years of my explorations in these different realities and methods to accomplish this. Brent, what sort of readers were you speaking to here? 
This would be for anybody who is seeking spiritual truth, anyone who is interested in metaphysical approaches to that as well. So this is something that will open the mind of the consciousness of the reader, give ideas, and basically open doorways to ways to explore the universe in ways maybe they haven't thought of in the past. Interesting. And Brent, what's the background on this? How are you inspired to write this book? The way I wrote this book was I used to, when I was younger, have out-of-body experiences while I was sleeping, not knowing exactly what they were. Hmm. And as I explored that more, I found out that Robert Monroe at the Monroe Institute wrote many books about it. So I started exploring that and studied at the Monroe Institute to be able to perfect the method of having conscious out-of-body explorations, also known as astral projection or astral travel. So that was my main interest, which was to be able to keep the mind awake while the body falls asleep and perfect the method then to have your spirit leave your physical body and explore the universe, you know, while your physical body lays sleeping. How long did this take you once you got started on it, clear up through when it was published? Let's see, this process of learning to go out of body took me about three months of intensive dedication every single day before I was able to accomplish that. I did this as well as doing many ayahuasca ceremonies to so-called pierce the veil and experience the other side. About five-year period of my life that I was exploring all these different alternative realities, it finally culminated where I had to finally put what was in my journals down in a book. And that was the reason for writing Conscious Exploration for the Advanced Soul. Have you ever done anything like this before? Have you written or published before this? I have not. This was my first book. I look forward to writing more in the future. But this was, uh, like I said, about five years worth of intensive work and study I did. And I just had to really document it, memorialize it, and put it in the book. Now, you mentioned you'll be writing more. Do you think you'll be further exploring this or maybe branching out into other things? I'll be picking up more in detail on this and taking the topic of the out-of-body exploration, actual projection, a little further. This first book covers three, four, five different methods, even talking about remote viewing, talking about, as I mentioned, ayahuasca and what that does when someone is taking an ayahuasca ceremony and being able to essentially pierce the veil, experience the non-physical realms without the process of dying to know really what lies beyond you know, the physical dimension that we're currently in. Mm, wow. What was it like for you, Brent, when actually you heard your book as opposed to reading it like you were used to? It's an interesting experience because you're hearing someone else reading it and you've kind of read it three, four, five times at least during the time that you're writing this book. So mm. I'm hearing my own voice, if you will, in my head reading it. And then when you hear another person reading it out loud, it's a little strange, but sitting back and letting it be read to you is, you know, what it did for me was really let me know, man, I really like this book. I'm glad I wrote it. And I think people that do read this book are going to really like it, whether they listen to it or read the paperback. Mm. How difficult was it for you to find just the right voice for this book? I had three different speakers give me samples. I found one of those three that was very good for what I was looking for. And so I just picked that one. And after one or two edits through the process, I completed the process. And I'm very satisfied with what we have out there. Well, I know readers and listeners to the audiobook are really going to get a lot out of this. And I encourage the listeners to the show to seek it out. Again, it's called Conscious Exploration for the Advanced Soul. It's written by Brent Fouch and is published by the Audiobook Network. So go everywhere that you go to get your audiobooks, like Audible or iTunes or Amazon, and you'll be able to find this. Well, Brent, thank you again for coming on the show. I had a really nice time talking with you. Great talking with you as well. I appreciate it. 
Faith Sealed Hope. That's the new book, Just Hit Stores, written by Danny McBride, and that's the book we're going to be talking about right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Danny is joining me. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time, Danny. Can you tell me all about what you've written about in Faith Sealed Hope? Yeah, I basically just started writing after my wife passed away as almost therapy, and it kind of just evolved into an autobiography of all the little stories that have happened through my life. Basically, a lot of them have to do with faith-driven obstacles that God has provided the guidance for, and I was able to overcome and share those stories with others. Hmm. Would you say this is a book then primarily for those who are grieving? You know, I would say not really. I was just kind of just telling stories how I would tell you or anybody the stories, but I guess it's kind of become that. It's kind of a, I don't know how you'd say it, but yeah, maybe a little crutch for someone who else has gone through the grieving of a spouse or a loved one. When it comes to writing and publishing and all of that, Danny, have you done this before or is this your first time? Never. I'm a math nerd engineer. I've, <laughs> I've never really wrote anything. In fact, this was pretty much all dictated. Hmm. So the editing became quite the nightmare, but yeah, no, I'm not a writer. How long did this take you to write and publish, Danny? I would say I probably spent about four or five months just putting the stories into a journal app, and then it was probably equal amount of time trying to edit what I was even trying to say. Would you say that that was the most challenging part then of the whole publishing process, just organizing your words and putting them in order? Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it, some of it was pretty difficult to even decipher because I was, you know, in such a distraught mode for a couple of those months that even the dictated verbiage didn't make sense to me. I was basically rewriting it. <laughs> when that day finally came, Danny, and you opened up your mailbox and there it was, the first copy of Faith Sealed Hope, and you got to pick it up and look at your name on the cover. It must have been a crazy moment for you. It sure was. Yeah, my uh, my daughter actually recorded it because I was opening the box, and it was uh, quite an emotional moment. There's no doubt about it. Probably the proudest moment of my life. I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way of doing this. So what would you say to the aspiring authors, the first-time authors out there? I say do it. I mean, it's it's a very easy thing to overcome nowadays with with all the technology in front of you. I mean, I used email to edit certain things just because that was, was at my disposal when I was working. So mm. even if it never gets out there, which it's so easy to publish something just yourself now, I think any, anybody could do it. And it's kind of your legacy. If you if you publish something, that's that's there for life, you know? Looking ahead, do you see yourself writing, publishing more? I did not when I finished this book, but given what has happened in the last two years since this has all come about, yeah, I definitely am thinking of writing a book called Summer of 22, and I've kind of just dictated some of those stories and started a little outline of it. So who knows? Maybe it'll become something, or maybe it'll just stay in my journal app. I'm curious, dictating a book, was writer's block something that you dealt with? You know, the way I did it is I kind of just... When I had a story pop in my mind, I added it to my outline. And then when I felt like telling the story or even when I was physically telling the story, I just turned on the journal app and record. So, no, I would say I didn't have much of an issue with writer's block because I just kind of got in the groove of telling the story. And I've kind of always been a, you know, Irish storytelling, you know, humorous kind of guy. So. so much time, so much work goes into doing this, Danny. Now, what's the most rewarding aspect for you now that you're a published author? If I could tell you how many people tell me that their book changed them, mm. that it inspired them, that it hit home, 
I've had two people tell me it's the best book they ever read. And those are actual, you know, readers saying those words to me, which just blows my mind because it's such a, I mean, I, I don't consider it a like deeper at level of book, but uh, apparently, you know, the word I keep hearing is raw and it's great to hear people say, thanks for writing it. And it inspired me and, it, and it's for different reasons. It's never the same. So it's pretty inspirational and humbling to me as well. I think so many readers will be blessed by the pages of this book. Again, the title is Faith Sealed Hope. It's written by Danny McBride, published by Christian Faith Publishing. So find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, also down the street at your local bookshop, and you'll be able to get this. Danny, it's been wonderful talking with you here tonight. Thanks for telling me about Faith Sealed Hope. I had a nice time talking. Hey, man, I appreciate it. I enjoyed myself thoroughly, and I appreciate you, sir. Thank you. I'm looking at a new novel that just hit stores, written by Cheryl Stinson Roto. It's titled Blind Trust, Winner, Sinner. And I get to find out all about this book. Cheryl is with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Cheryl, welcome. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is all mine. Can you tell me all about what readers will find in Blind Trust, Winner, Sinner? Sure. It's a Christian fiction novel, and it centers around a tenured vet, veterinarian, who's caught keeping surrendered animals alive, unbeknownst to their owners. And then behind the scenes, he's actually conducting experiments on them. And his vet tech, who's a woman named Carmen, discovers his secret, and she's determined to bring his actions to justice by involving the police. But the problem is she's an undocumented immigrant, and she badly needs her job, and she's fearful that she involves the police, she might get deported. So that's kind of the general theme of the book. I take it it's not just a Christian audience that you are after here. No, it's not. Anyone who actually loves animals and wants to help animals and people who just like a kind of a mystery or a thriller type basis is also going to be intrigued by finding out how this ends. Hmm. Cheryl, how were you inspired to write this? Where'd you get the idea? Well, it was actually from a, a real life situation. I was reading a news article and there was a vet in my hometown who was actually caught doing this. Oh and I remember getting so angry at it because I love animals and I thought, hmm. How would somebody who goes into the profession to help animals be able to all of a sudden switch and do this? Because there's so much trust behind it with the owners and the animals themselves. So I read about this. I, I didn't know why he did it or what happened, but I just thought, you know, I can't leave this the way it is. So I've got to make this make sense. So that's why I thought I'd write this novel. Hmm. Is this your first novel or have you written before this? It's my first novel. I've written children's books, mostly to entertain my nephews, nieces, children hmm. over the years. But it's my first fiction novel. Wow. How long did this take you once you sat down and started writing it, clear through the publishing process and everything? Probably took about six years, to be honest with you, because I wanted to learn how to write and write a novel in a way that would start with a inciting incident and then go into something that happens and then have the character, the whole, you know, a hero's journey. And I wanted to make sure that it made sense. What did you find the most challenging part about things, especially when it came to that publishing end of things where there was so much involved? The challenging part for me was I had all these ideas in my head and I wrote them all out and then I had to string it together. And, and most of the things that I write about in the story were things that really happened. That was probably the hardest part is to make it all make sense. And finding the right publisher was important as well. Learning how to make a pitch to try to get someone interested in the story. And, you know, once I got it all pulled together, then it was a little bit easier. But having people review it and to have them read it and see whether it made sense to them was also challenging. So this book was six years in the making, and then that day finally comes, Cheryl, and you get to hold it in your hands. That first copy comes in the mail. What was that moment like for you? 
It was amazing. I a set of books delivered to my house. When I opened up and saw my name on it, I thought, yes, we finally did this. And I'm also an artist, so I actually did the cover art on it. And oh, wow. when I put it through to the artists at the publishing house, I said, well, this work. And, and they, they were able to make it look amazing, the cover. So I was happy to see that as well. Like you said, Cheryl, this is your first novel. Do you see yourself writing more novels in the future? I hope so. What I'm trying to work on right now is a screenplay kind of the same type of thing where something I, I learn about and then I write the backstory as to what happens in it. So in this case, it's, it's actually somebody who was in Vimy Ridge, which was a, a military battle. And I found out about them and I want to write their life story. So obviously they're, they're no longer with us. So I'm doing a lot of research on it. But yeah, that's my next challenge. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, for you, now that you're published, Cheryl, what's the most rewarding aspect of that for you? I think getting out there and doing the marketing is fun because I, I like to talk about the book and meeting people who are also readers or animal lovers tends to be the people that are interested in the book is people who want to help animals and rescue organizations. I enjoy talking to people and I've met a lot of people that are connected with the same things that I am. So, hmm. well, Cheryl, do you have people around you in your life who can inspire you, maybe encourage you along the way, especially when it comes to your creative endeavors? Well, I was inspired by my grandmother, who's no longer with us, but she um, was a school teacher and she was Atlantic descent. She used to do a lot of journaling. And then when she was well into her 60s, she went back to college and took some writing courses and actually had some of her short stories published. So I was kind of inspired that it's never too late to start writing. And it's good to have somebody who inspires you because I, I looked at that and say, well, I can do this too. Again, it's called Blind Trust, Winner, Sinner. It's written by Cheryl Stinson Roto. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing, so you can find it everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Cheryl, it's been really great having you on the show and learning all about the book. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking at a really interesting book here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. It looks to compare the beginnings and the basic tenets of the Buddhist faith and Christianity. It's titled Buddha and the Man on the Cross, Second Edition. It's written by Norman Law, and I get to find out more about this book. Norman is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Norman, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you much. Can you tell me all about Buddha and the Man on the Cross? What do readers expect here? What happened is there's about over 3,000 Buddhist temples in the U.S., and we don't really know what they do, what they practice, how they think and difficult to reach out to them. And what happened is I was born in a Buddhist and a Catholic family. <laughs> my mom is Buddhist, my grandmother and mother is Buddhist all the way down there, and they practice Buddhism. But when you ask them what we all believe, they don't really know where it came from. And it's passed on from generations to generations. And that happens to about every religion. In Muslims, same way. In Hinduism, the same way. In Buddhism, the same way. And the practice is practice in ignorance, and they hope to get a benefit from it. So I decided to do exploration on Buddhism and find out what the basic faith is. Hmm. I went to school, they teach part of Buddhism. So, and then I met some friends who are Buddhists, and I read some of their books. I can never find where they come from. So I wrote the first book through my research, and what I found out is in Buddhism, they have a Pali canon. But it's mostly about how to practice the faith. So I wrote on that is my first edition. On the second edition, as I was doing my research on Hinduism, I found out that all their basic faith came from Hinduism. And Hinduism has its basic literature. And they are the Vedas, the Upanishads, 
the Puranas, Mahabharata, Bhagavad Gita, and it's a summary of all that. And it predates Christianity. Hmm. And that thing that blew me away. Then I found out that they practice the same way and it's derived from Hinduism. So I enjoyed exposing the truths of people who desire to know the truth on why people do things that open their eyes. And it, it's really enlightened me. Interesting. I thought that Buddha copied a lot from Hinduism and he put his own curve on it. <laughs> so there is a branch of Buddhism that has no God. It's called Theravada. They have a Hinayana and a Mahayana, and they're all different. The other one has gods. And he migrated to China and then migrated to Japan and Southeast Asia. Norman, would you say that this is a book primarily for Buddhists, primarily for Christians? What do you think? It's for people who seek the truth. And for people who want to share their faith with Buddhists, they should know what the Buddhists believe in. You can't share the faith with Buddhists if you don't know what they believe in. At least when you ask them a question, you already know the answer. <laughs> Interesting. Norman, how long did this take you to write once you started on it? Buddha took me two years. When you got your first copy in of Buddha and the Man on the Cross, Norman, what kind of moment was that for you? I don't think about it. It's interesting because I proceed from one to the other. I didn't stop once after I finished writing up Buddhism and the Man on the Cross. I proceeded to go Hinduism and the Cross. So I don't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> My head just gone. Prior to all this, Norman, have you written or published, or are you new to this? Yes, I did. I wrote Quran and the Bible study commentary. I went to Argentina to buy a vineyard where I was going to retire, but then something happened that went wrong in Argentina. I guess the good Lord doesn't want me to do anything in Argentina. But when I was bored at night, I read the Quran given to me at the festival the year before, and I found that there are many, many contradictions and controversies. So I wrote the Quran in every verse and every chapter, 114 chapters in the Quran. I wrote on commentary on everything. Wow. It took me about five years. So as soon as I finished that, I proceeded to work on the Buddhism. And then after I finished Buddhism, I proceeded to work on Hinduism. And that's where I discovered all the bases of Buddhism came from Hinduism. Mm. I know a lot of readers are going to find this very interesting. Again, it's titled Buddha and the Man on the Cross, Second Edition. This is written by Norman Law, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing, so you can find it everywhere where you shop for books, like at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Norman, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time chatting with you. Thank you. The book we're going to talk about now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is a new 30-day devotional. It's titled Satan, Suicide, and Sanctuary. It's written by Don Early, and we're going to talk all about it. Don is here with me now. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course, the pleasure's mine, Don. Can you tell me all about Satan, Suicide, and Sanctuary? What do readers find here? This book will tell the journey that I went through of a time when I had a suicide attempt. It took me three years to sit down and write my story. I think because the numbers have been increasing so much, I just felt like people ought to know what it's like for somebody like me that would not even think about an attempt that could be pushed to that limit. So it involves bullying in the workplace, internet harassment, things you just don't want to go through. Is this primarily for people who have experienced these things? 
I would say it would be for anyone who experiences anxiety, depression, bullying, especially if you're a person that has never thought about a suicidal ideation before and you never thought you would, but you may find yourself in a situation one day that you cannot handle. And how long did this take you to write, Dawn, once you had decided to start on it? When I sat down, probably about three to four months, it it just, the words flowed. I prayed over it really hard, and the scriptures came, the words came, the pictures, the illustrations, the title, it just all fell into place. Don, can you go back and think about that moment that you decided, hey, I want to sit down and get started writing this book? I think when I finally was able to comprehend through therapy, one, therapy's a great thing that... There's all types of people in the world. There's all types of emotions in the world. But we never talk about mental health straightforward. Mm. It's never discussed of, oh, well, you know, they're just crazy. Let's just leave them alone. That's not the case. You know, we're all connected and we all have troubles and we should all kind of reach out and be a little kinder. Mm, I love it. Now, what was that moment like for you, Don, whenever you opened up your mailbox and there it was, your first copy of Satan's Suicide and Sanctuary and got to hold your book and there it is, your name's on the cover and everything. What was that like? I had excitement. I squealed. <laughs> it, was just, it was just one of those moments of like, you did it. You accomplished this and you did it and you told your story and you're praying that it's going to get out there. I looked a hot mess that day, and I just, but I took my picture holding my book. Looking down the road, do you see yourself writing, maybe publishing more? I write a lot. I write a lot of Bible studies. I have written two, and I like to write lessons. You know, a lot of times my husband, he's a music minister, and, you know, sometimes he'll kind of be playing around with an idea, and I'll just sit down and research a little bit and, you know, write some things for him. Now, to go through that publishing process, it can surely be a learning experience. What did you find the most challenging part about that for you? The waiting. (laughs) Each little step, you know, you're like, okay, this is going to take this long, and this is going to take this long. And I'm like, I just really want to see the book. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any advice now that maybe something you learned along the way that you could put out there for the first time or the aspiring authors? I would say if you have a story and you want it told, sit down, write it. You're not going to be perfect at it, of course. I wasn't. I mean, my first draft that came back was a lot of red marks, <laughs> just little things, but it was still red marked. And it's kind of like, oh, is my English that bad? You know, is my grammar that bad? But, you know, it's helpful. And, you know, let your friends read it and get unbiased opinions. You know, you might get your feelings hurt a little bit, but, I would rather somebody say, okay, you know, this part didn't sound just right. Maybe you ought to reword it. I think this book is going to help a lot of people out there. I encourage my listeners to seek this one out for sure. Again, it's titled Satan, Suicide, and Sanctuary. It's written by Don Early and is published by Covenant Books. So you can find it everywhere. Head over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores and you'll be able to pick this one up. Don, thanks again for coming on the show. Tell me all about this book and a little bit about your story. I had a nice time. Thank you. I did, too. You have a good day and a happy Merry Christmas. I'm looking at a book right now that's different than any other Christmas book out there. It's full of stories that look to increase the reader's faith. It's titled Three Christmas Miracles, and it's written by Casey Chadwick, 
And I get to find out all about this. The author, Kent, is with me now at the show. Kent, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. Can you tell me all about Three Christmas Miracles? What can readers expect? Well, the book has three stories. A Dove in Darkness, which is a story about Joseph and Mary and their situation when he finds out that she is going to have a child and how they deal with that on a personal level and how they come together so that they can raise the child together. The second story is Honey from the Rock. It's about a shepherd named Barnabas who has a child, five years old, who has a lame leg. And friends and neighbors think that he and his wife must have stand for God to punish him like that. And so he's not very faithful, but he's a good shepherd and he does see the star and hear the angels tell about the Christ's birth. But instead of running toward to find the child with the other shepherd, he runs home and gets his child and takes her and his wife with him to find the child, thinking that he might be able to get her healed. The third story is about a wise man, Malchior, who is older, very frail, who has put together several other men like him to try to find the Christ child. Their journey is very, very hard, but they do get to Jerusalem to meet Herod. But he says that he doesn't know anything about the child, but he is fascinated about the star. And Melchior has star charts and all these graphs that explain why the stars appeared. The wise men don't believe Herod, and so they leave and find the Christ child on their own. So each one is a very personal story and how they're reacting and what their challenges are and how they overcome those things to accept their divine callings. I love the stories going on here. Uh, You said this is different than every other Christmas book out there. How so? Well, it's different in that it's a very personal viewpoint on all of these events and how they try to overcome their obstacles in their lives to finally accept their callings to do the divine plan. So it's very different in that respect. Was it primarily a Christian audience you had in mind for this? Yes, pretty much. People who read the scriptures and know about the nativity and the birth of the Savior. When it comes to writing and publishing and everything like that, Kent, have you ever done this before or is this your first shot? This is my first shot at being a sort of a long writing project. I've written a lot of short stories and things like that and been published with those. But I wanted this mainly to be something for my family to have so that they would have a piece of my writing as I get older. How long of an endeavor was this for you? <laughs> well, it really is. It took several years because I wrote the first story probably 20 years ago and just used that as a source for oral readings, which I gave to civic groups and church groups and that kind of thing. And it got a very good response. And then I got the idea, well, maybe we could, you know, what would the shepherd story be? And then I started fishing that out. And that came out to be the story it is now. And then I wanted to finish it with a story of the wise men. So... But it's taken several years. It sort of evolved over time. And after that amount of time and being so personal for you, Kent, what was it like when you finally got it in the mail? You got to hold your first copy. It was great, and that was exciting to see that it was actually in print and looked good. And the cover was nice, and it was well formatted. And it gave me a sense of accomplishment, which is always good. I enjoyed that. Do you see yourself publishing more in the future, do you think? Yes, I hope so. I have written two other books, completely different. One is a science fiction story about an alien invasion. The other is a murder mystery set a little bit in the future. Those are much longer books. They're like three and 400 pages, but they're both finished, and I'm scouting those around to see about getting those published. Now, when it came to what the book was actually going to look like, the cover and everything, you might not have thought of that right off the bat as you're actually just writing the stories. So was that a challenge to get that all together? I had a graphic that someone else had given me. 
it had, they had this outline of Joseph and Mary and the baby in a manger. On the left side, it had a smaller picture of the shepherds. So I had to get that added in. So but that, it looks pretty good now. I think readers are really going to love this book, and I encourage my listeners to seek it out. Again, the title is Three Christmas Miracles. It's written by K.C. Chadwick, published by Covenant Books, so you can find it everywhere like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also down the street at your local bookshop. And Ken, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me about Three Christmas Miracles and everything else. I had a nice time talking with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm looking at a book right now that's all about a happy-go-lucky caterpillar. It's called Abe the Caterpillar, and it's written by Lan H. Riley. And I get to find out all about this book. The author, Lan, is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Lan, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Corey. What a wonderful introduction you gave me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, the pleasure's all mine. I'm excited to talk about Abe the Caterpillar, Lan. What can people expect here? Well, I guess I have one question for the audience is, have you ever feel like something is missing in your life? Do you feel special? Do you feel like nobody? Well, Abe the Caterpillar is that guy. He's an average caterpillar, and he has really average talents, and he's just an average guy. But he happens to have two wonderful friends. One is very smart. His name is Bean, and he is very good at inventing things for the caterpillar world. He would like, you know, make leaves and tweaks into a cart to carry food. And the other friend is called Z, and he's more like a culinary chef or just someone who knows a lot of food because he spent his time tasting everything he sees. And then when he's full, he will fall asleep. Therefore, his name is Z because he snores. So Abe has this burning question like, you know, why are we here? What's the meaning? He, he felt that it's missing from his life. So he asked his friend, Bean and Z, and each of them will have a different answer for him. And he's still kind of not quite satisfied until one day he ran into a caterpillar that's hanging upside down. And the caterpillar name is Omega who goes by Great O. So, you know, curious, he approached Great O and asked him, why are you hanging upside down? So the book is about way before the caterpillar even make cocoons. So this is the first introduction of caterpillar make a cocoon. So he doesn't know what a cocoon or a butterfly. So he approached Omega or O and asked, what are you doing? And so O revealed to him, the creator chose Abe to be a witness to a miracle of life. And that miracle of life is that the caterpillar will die and then eventually transform into a butterfly. So the cocoon is like a tomb and the butterfly is resurrected life. So that's what the book is about. It's about message of hope in that everybody is special and Abe is special because he was called to be a witness to something wonderful that the world hasn't seen before, and that is that there's life after death. Lynn, how did you get the idea for this book? How were you inspired? Actually, my father was sick at the time, and there was a lot of close calls. You know, every time we go to the hospital, he will rebound. But every time he did that, I was like, okay, this is it. This is it. And he started me thinking about death and how final it is and how hard it is to face that. 
And then I start looking at nature, like, is there evidence of life after death? And somehow the caterpillar comes into mind because caterpillar didn't know he'd become a butterfly. Mm. So that was the, the insight. And there is a lot of things we don't know. And after that, I've been researching like near-death experience and all the wonderful testimony of their passing and what they see on the other side. And that brings comfort. So I just want my book to be like a tool to help people, especially when they lost someone, a pet, a grandparent, a sibling, or a parent, to be able to talk about death in a positive way and talk about the resurrective life because it's not a topic that we bring up, you know, easily. So I envision like a parent will sit down with a child and reading this and they say, oh, your pet, he's becoming a butterfly or your grandparent, you know, they die now, but they become a butterfly. That's what I envision my book to be. Well, I think readers will love this book and I encourage my listeners to seek it out. Again, the title is Abe the Caterpillar. It's written by Lan H. Riley and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. So head to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to pick this up. Well, Lan, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me all about this book. I had a really nice time with you. Thank you very much, Corey. Nice meeting you and talking to you as well. We're going to be talking about an audiobook now that tells us about the lives of the men and women in uniform who save lives. It's titled Concrete Lifeguards. It's written by Stephen Bialik, and Stephen is here with me now, and we get to talk all about this book. Stephen, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Stephen, can you tell me all about Concrete Lifeguards? What will people find here? Yeah, well, it's about a New York City Fire Department, EMS, from 1991 to 2002. This all came about because of COVID. Everybody was on lockdown. Right. And what we would used to do, just like the New York police, we had memo books and we would write little notes on particular jobs that we did during the day of that shift. Basically, I had 30 years worth of notes I went through. Yeah, I always wanted to do a book about this, but I just kind of never thought I'd end up doing it. After 10 years when I was writing, I guess 2002, after 9-11, I basically kind of stopped because everything was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so I I went back and and had to uh, decipher my own handwriting, which is pretty (laughs) difficult from 30 years ago. Unfortunately, my wife passed from COVID also. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and the book is dedicated to Jeannie Dugan. You know what I mean? Just like anything else, life goes on. But the, the book is about the EMTs, the medics, the firefighters for the 10 years from 91 to 2001. And everything was all great and everything until 9-11. And then it became a reality. Well, what was it like for you, Stephen, whenever you got the first copy and you got to hold a physical copy of this book you've been working on? Basically, I was kind of surprised. I did it. That was the thing. Mm. It took me a while, 30 years, and I had some help. He was a uh, New York City police officer. He writes science fiction. So he kind of knew the ins and outs of publishing. Like I said, we kept going over my notes, and he's like, what does this say? And I go, ah, uh, <laughs> I'm really not sure. 
I'm retired 10 years now from fire department. And people ask, so when are you going to come out with book two? And I said, listen, I'm freaking 63. <laughs> took me 30 years to write this book. <laughs> I'll be 93. I said, if it comes out with another book, it's going to be either Connect the Dots or a coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of publishing here, Stephen. So do you have any advice now that you could throw out there for aspiring authors? Well, I had an excuse. It was more of, you know, COVID. People out there, they don't have to wait for another COVID. Nobody wants another COVID. But you just got to make some time, maybe a day or two when you're off. You have to write notes. That's what I would recommend. If people, especially now in this type of field, you know, it was also type of a therapy also. After each job, when I first started, it's not like TV. Believe me, it's not like TV. When I got home, I would write it down. This way, I would remember. Well, Stephen, now that you're a published author, what's the most rewarding aspect of that for you? I've donated some of the uh, proceeds to fire department, burn unit, stuff like that. Here and there, I'll speak to people. People want pictures, so I do that. Nine times out of ten, I'll give them a book. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have to go on Amazon. I'm still involved with retirees. They run into problems, too. You know, give out gift cards here and there if anybody's got any financial problems. Like I said before, life goes on. Keep chugging along. Well, I think that audiobook listeners are really going to love this book, and I encourage my listeners to seek it out. Again, the title is Concrete Lifeguards. It's written by Stephen Bialik, published by the Audiobook Network, so you can get it everywhere that you pick up your audiobooks. Go on over to Audible or iTunes, Amazon, you'll be able to find it. Stephen, thank you again for joining me on the show and telling me about your stories and about this book. I had a nice time talking with you. It's a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 